You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today is my good friend, Cindy Campbell, Senior Training and Development Specialist at the International Parking and Mobility Institute, IPMI. How are you doing today, Cindy? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Isaiah. Yeah, I, I know you're one of our few repeat um, guests. You, you, you were on for a few minutes, I think, during COVID, talking about the remote training that IPMI was offering, but it's good to have you back. So I'm sure you've listened to the podcast before. You know my first question, Cindy. How in the world did you get into parking? You know, I, I did anticipate that that was going to be your first question. And, and it's a question I love to ask everybody because if you really think about it, uh, most of us kind of, as I call it, tripped and fell into parking. Nobody starts out thinking as a small child that one day they want to be a, a parking and, and mobility mm-hmm. professional. And yet here, here we are. But I like, um, I like how Donald Shute says it. Uh, he backed into parking. He, he, he backed in. That's a good. <laughs> oh, one. yeah. That sounds more like a dad joke, and I, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's I, why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how I got into parking, uh, I started out actually very early in in life. I, I I knew I wanted to be a police officer, and so I went to the police academy. And uh, my first uh, job was with the local municipality. I live here in California. Uh, still live in California. And I started with San Luis Obispo Police Department. I was too young for them to uh, put on full time as a police officer. So I started as a 911 dispatcher. Uh, and then I, I would work double shifts. I would do one shift as a dispatcher and one as a, a police officer in training. And I did that for a couple of years. I ended up leaving the city of San Luis Obispo and I got a job over with the university. I had planned to go back into law enforcement. Uh, There were no jobs available at that time um, as police officers. And so I took one as a dispatcher, which happened to be really dealing 95% of my day with people complaining about parking. So I, I, I didn't necessarily go into it with my eyes wide open. I thought I was doing something else, but landed there. I love it. And then you also were like the chair at IPMI. Was that while you were at the university there? I Yes. Uh, so after I did the dispatching gig for a few years, handful of years, I wanted to get off shift work. By that time, I was uh, married and uh, we were having our, our first child. And so we decided it would be a good thing for me to get into something that had Monday through Friday hours. And I thought, well, heck, I, I've done all these things, you know, thinking so much of myself. I I can do parking that, you know, anybody can do parking. Well, that was really naive. Um, I, I, I started then after dispatching, I was a parking officer, parking enforcement, directed traffic, worked events, um, all of that. And uh, I did that for, oh my goodness, about seven years before I, I had a little revelation, became a better professional and uh, started to promote within my organization. Um, I was working at Cal Poly State University in San Luis Obispo. And uh, after about a decade in uh, management, I got elected to the board of directors for IPMI, IPI at the time, and then uh, uh, basically got elected to be uh, chairman of the board after serving on the board for, I think, uh, three terms. That was some of my earliest memories of you when I joined IPMI. You were, I think, the president or chairman at the time, and 
you know, you would up, be up there speaking in front of 5,000 people. It was so impressive. So I always knew the name. I'm glad we got to know each other yeah. over the years. And of course, now you're with IPMI and actually provide and lead the training courses, which it sounds like you've had your, you've, you've had different roles, you know, you've kind of touched it all, which would probably help you uh, be a better speaker and trainer on these topics. So uh, talk about working with IPMI and what you do with uh, training development there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, um, training and development for IPMI is, is uh, well, it, I, I was a, a parking professional for years. That doesn't make me a training professional, but training has always been a, a passion of mine. Even when I was back in the university uh, world, I, I would uh, do training for other areas of our university, uh, for my staff, and then for some housing and our our uh, trades on campus, uh, lots of the student assistant groups on campus I would do uh, communication training for. So it, it kind of got into my blood. I, I loved it. So when I was getting ready actually to retire from the university, I mentioned to uh, Sean Conrad, CEO at uh, IPMI, that I would be retiring. And uh, when I stepped off the board, you know, that would be the end of it. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go do some of my training, you know, here and there where, you know, where I can. And he said, well, why don't you come do it for us? And I thought, well, I believe I can join you. That would be fun. I, I would like that. I, I wasn't really ready to retire, retire, but uh, looking for new challenges. So that's when I joined IPMI and that was in 2015. And I've been doing it full time since. Um, I kind of hit the, hit the ground running and it hasn't stopped except for a, a momentary slowdown during during mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic. It's crazy. Thank you, man. It's been about seven years already. Um, and I've sat through some of your training with my team. My company uses your training services. We love it. I, I think you do a wonderful job. I think one reason is you've been there, done that. You know, I think when you have, you know, someone coming from the restaurant industry or Chick-fil-A or Disney, you know, and, and those are so some great trainings, but it's, I've seen my PEOs finally pay attention or perk up when they hear you and they hear about your stories. Yeah, I used this is this is these are the mistakes I made, or this is where I fell short, or this is what I did to improve. You know, so it was. I don't know. I just right. like that. I like that you have that that street cred, if you will. But I don't know. Do you notice that? Do you, do you think that's a benefit when you're when you're doing your training? You know, it's a. I love your observation, and thank you for sharing that with me. Can I tell you a little bit about? kind of what I did when I did enforcement and what's kind of drawn me to doing training and enforcement now. Yeah. And I think I know where you're going. I think I've heard this story where <laughs> maybe you weren't the, the best PEO. Maybe you took some shortcuts. I love that story, but yeah, go ahead and share with us. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you're, you're being very kind. It, it wasn't that maybe I wasn't the best. It's more like maybe I was the worst. When I did enforcement, I'll, I'll be honest, some of this came from, this is going to sound bad, but my police training. You have to remember, I went through the police academy in 1979. So we're going back in time. There were not a lot of women in law enforcement. And the feeling was that if you were going to be a woman in law enforcement, at least in, in my region, you had to be bigger and badder than everybody else. And I'm, I'm five foot 10. I'm not, a, I'm not a small framed woman. And physically I can train, but I, I don't necessarily have the same capabilities or body strength physiology uh, as as a man. So 
I led with attitude and sarcasm. And my feeling was, and I took this into parking. My feeling was, if you were going to be disrespectful and nasty to me, watch out because you're going to get it back about tenfold. Mm. And I felt that that really served me well. I felt that I was showing people that I deserved respect, that I wasn't going to tolerate it. What it was really doing was showing them how, how frankly, how unprofessional I was. But I didn't get that. And I'm sad to say, probably took me a good five to seven years before I realized that a lot of the negativity and aggression and disrespect that I was encountering, I was fostering. I was breeding it. I may have been confronted by it without me having any negativity, but once I turned it around and you know spewed it back at them, it came out horribly unprofessional. And so I do talk about that in a lot of my trainings, and I give some specific examples, and I tell stories because I think it's important that we recognize we might not be doing things well. And sometimes if, if we're unhappy, uh, if we are dissatisfied with our job or the respect that we don't feel we're getting that we deserve, it's not always true. But frequently, if we're honest with ourselves, we play a role in that. We, we're inviting some of that disrespect by the way we carry ourselves. So when you think about what our frontline and our enforcement folks are trying to accomplish for our organizations, I think it's an important message to say we can all do better. And I'm speaking from something I know something about personally. I, I didn't do it well. Yeah. I, I think, again, a lot of the frontline staff, they're usually really good with uh, authenticity, maybe. So I think when you come from that place when you're saying when you're being authentic or when showing your emotions or or showing how mistakes you've made and why that was wrong and what you've learned i think they're just again i've just seen it firsthand they're more responsive they're more willing to listen versus the guy or gal who goes up there and has all the answers you know i i don't know i just like that so i appreciate uh, that yeah we talked about it you you again my staff tends to Really respond well when you when you're when you're teaching the frontline training again, just because you've been there, done that, and you also tell some some pretty fun stories from when you were a PEO or you were frontline staff. So, do you does anything come to mind on things you could you could share like stories you you like to share when you're doing yeah. training? Yeah, it, it's interesting. The stories that I tell, uh, I would say, are rarely good stories. But I'm going to say honestly, they're never good stories. They're never how well I did. They're always how I you know really failed at it. I there's one that is a <laughs> that I get asked about frequently if it's true or not, and it it's true. So uh, when I was doing parking enforcement years ago, um, we used to split the campus up into different beats sectors, and we would swap every week um, on one half or the other. And uh, I was over working in the athletics area of campus, and it was near the gymnasium. And every afternoon there was a uh, uh, women's volleyball team practice. We were pretty good at volleyball at the time. And we had one star player that really was quite good. And she would park every day in the parking meters, single space meters next to the gymnasium. And every day she would not put money in the meter and every day she'd get a ticket for her lack of effort. So there was her yellow Volkswagen. And uh, I, I pulled up one day behind her in my little three-wheel Cushman vehicle parked and uh, it was a whole street, a one-way street of 
meters, single space meters. Hers was the first one I got to. Uh, looked at it. Sure enough, she, like always, she hadn't paid the meter. So I write the ticket, put it under the windshield wiper, and uh, I go on. Well, this the street kind of curves up and around. So it took me probably a, almost 10 minutes to do the whole street and then to walk back to my vehicle. It was the end of the day or towards the end of my shift. And as I passed her car, the Volkswagen, I noticed that the citation was off the windshield. And as I got to my Cushman, I looked at my windshield and there was this red sticky substance on the, the glass. And I thought, what is that? Well, I looked on the ground in front and there were empty packets of Taco Bell hot sauce. Oh, so no. real quickly, I knew what it was. And I thought, well, wait a minute. So I walked back to the yellow Volkswagen. I looked in from the, the driver's side into the passenger side. And on the seat was the ticket that I had just written. So the car had been visited. And there was a bag from Taco Bell and there were hot sauce packets. And I thought, oh, okay, I got it. I got you. So I went back to my uh, scooter, got out a rag, washed off the, the windshield. And I went back to the office because it was the end of my shift. And I clocked out and I put a sweater over my uniform and I got out to my car and I was pretty hungry. So I drove off campus and I drove to uh, Taco Bell and I went up, got myself a burrito. And I walked over to the condiments area and I had a little fanny pack that I wore uh, every day at work. And I unzipped the fanny pack and I picked up one or two or 20 packets of hot sauce and I put it in my pack and I left because I, I don't use hot sauce on, on my food. Anyway, the next day I went out. Sure enough, that afternoon, there she was. Now, you may think I'm going somewhere different with this, but it's not <laughs> as bad as you think. I, I wrote her a ticket because, again, the yellow Volkswagen was there, meter not paid. I put the ticket on the windshield, and then I took out of my fanny pack one packet of hot sauce, and I placed it on top of the ticket, but underneath the windshield wiper. And it was just to send the message. I know it I was know you. you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, you know, passive intimidation. But oh, I did that. So I did it the rest of the week. Every time I wrote her a ticket, I gave her a hot sauce packet unopened. Well, the next week, you know, week ended. Next week, it was uh, one of my coworkers' turns to, to be in that area. And I went up to her and I said, hey, Judy, can we trade sides of campus? She said, yeah, what's going on? I said, oh, I'm working on a project. She said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. I didn't explain. That should have been my first clue that I knew it was wrong. So that afternoon, I write another ticket, another ticket the next day. This is about the fifth day in a row now. And I come up to her car and I write the ticket and I go into my fanny pack and there's no hot sauce because I had taken most of them out. It was, there were too many. So I walk back, get one out of my cart, come back up. And as I'm placing it, just, just so on top of the ticket, I hear somebody say, uh, hey, Cindy. And I turn around and it's a faculty member that I'd gotten to know. Really nice lady. One of the only faculty members on the campus at that time that would actually stop and talk to me would be respectful to us, would talk to any of the, my coworkers. And she's looking at me confused, like, what are you doing? And I see her confusion and she says, what's that about? And I was at a loss to, uh, for words. I'm never at a loss for words, but I said, oh, um, I, we've got a running joke going. It's, it's nothing. Hey, how are you? And she just nodded her head and she didn't answer me. And she said, oh, okay. Well, see ya. And walked off. <laughs> and I immediately knew I, I, I didn't come up with the right thing. I didn't say the right thing. What was the right thing? And something in my head said, 
you idiot. It's not what you said. It's what you did. She never talked to me again. She never talked to my coworkers again. And she left the university shortly thereafter for a promotion at a different university. But I have to take some responsibility there because really, if you think about it, and this, this applies to our front line now, that was her impression of park enforcement. She probably took that forward for the rest of her life. I did that. I own that. We all have to reflect on the things that we do and that we need to own up to. And uh, it's, it's one of the stories I think people think I'm uh, exaggerating it. There's no exaggeration that really no. happened. No, that's great. That's so insightful. This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcasts. Yeah. And what are some of the, you know, give a plug, what are some of the courses that you guys uh, offer? Yeah, i happy to. Let's see. Uh, some of the things that we're offering right now, and, and when, when I say we're offering, you know, IPMI, I'm the um, senior trainer. Uh, I have a couple other folks that uh, work with me on occasion, just either geographic or time constraints that we have. We have other folks that step in, but um, let's see, there's, you know, uh, understanding our role and effective customer service or customer service excellence, uh, conflict resolution, which is, is a big deal. And interesting thing about conflict resolution, it's not just conflict with our customers. It's also conflict amongst our, our team members, our peers, workplace conflict, uh, developing workplace resilience. Isaiah, if you think about it right now, especially the whole idea of how people are being treated, and it's not just in our industry, but our frontline is, is definitely feeling it. They're being aggressively disrespected and people's word choices and attitudes are, well, not only aggressive and disrespectful, but sometimes uh, to the point of, of trying to, to hit or, or strike our staff. And the aggression is really, really ratcheted up. I, I was actually asked, just a little side note about the whole resiliency idea. Um, we teach uh, a class on developing workplace resilience. I was asked to actually come up with this session because a particular agency was having trouble with staff just taking way too much aggression. And so we needed to try to figure out how to draw that line in the sand. Where, where is it okay to take a little bit of people's aggression and, and hostility and frustration. When is that normal and expected versus when do they cross the line? And when they cross that line for us, how are we responding? The whole idea of resiliency here is, are we taking it personally? Are we taking it in and is it affecting other areas of our lives? Is it making our jobs miserable? So one of our classes is about how to develop this workplace resiliency and then also organizational agility. That's another part of the class is, you know, how do we move ourselves forward and then as a group move the entire organization forward with our attitude and our word choice 
how we deal with people. Other classes that we're teaching, there's uh, team dynamics, organizational agilities I'd mentioned, um, and then there's the tactical communication series. That's the 101 and 201. It's, it's uh, really all about how we communicate with the public when they're not understanding what our role is, and then our role in sometimes how they misunderstand us and, and what we can do to be better understood and to stay on focus on our message. Yeah, also, I, yeah. Go ahead. I've, ha- I've had a just a side story about that because sometimes you you could be saying the right things, but you're saying them not the right way. Where I had a, an employee, the nicest employee in the world, like like never meet a stranger, just the eternal optimist. He, you know, and he did not mean anything by by it. But we had to talk to him. He'd give someone a ticket. You know, they'd come up, and he would, you know, have a great day, have a blessed day, and he's being dead serious. But I was like, Charles, when you're where you're giving that ticket saying, have a nice day. It just comes across. And I know you have such a good heart, but, but it's funny how you kind of mentioned that it's, it's, it's not always just the, it's not always the word you're saying. It's how it's, how it's coming across or how it's being perceived. But I thought that was funny. Well, it's, it's true. And that uh, you actually bring up a a really good point. This, this example, how we use our vocal tone, how we present ourselves physically, how we make eye contact or our facial expression, it changes the entire message. So where, you know, have a nice day might come across as maybe either uh, sarcastic or, you know, it's a hidden message and somebody could be very sincere about their message, but it doesn't necessarily get taken the way it's intended. And I'll, I'll give you one other example that happens a lot. It's the words, can I help you? If somebody approaches you and they're angry and they're- Can I help you? Yeah. Can (laughs) I help you? That's an entirely different message, isn't it? Now, you can't see my face right now, but you'll assume if I say, can I help you? What I'm really saying is, what's your problem? So we have to think about the fact that our message needs to be married. It needs to sound like it looks. Uh, We need to have a sincerity. We need to have empathy. There's all of this stuff that goes into training. and, And frankly, what our frontline does isn't easy. We, we sometimes underestimate how much talent it takes to do these jobs, but our organizational reputations depend on these folks. So getting them good training, good knowledge, whether it's for me or whether it's something they're doing within their own agencies, I'm passionate about developing the professionalism of our frontline staff. They're, they're my people. That's where I connect. And so Anything I can do to bring them some uh, professionalism to their job, and frankly, a little less stress for them at the end of the day, mm. that's, uh, I, you know, count me in for that. Yeah, no. And, and I agree. And it's also just crazy how one, how key consistency is, you know, it's just 99 pro- customers, they just go above and beyond, and then they just have that one bad experience. That's the one that gets recorded or goes on Facebook or goes to the mayor. But it's yes. It's also just it's about instilling in them kind of the purpose of what they do, the culture, so that they're always on. But I, another question I had, I don't know if you've read any studies. I haven't. I'm just curious about kind of how training and development and investing in employees helps with employee retention and attracting employees. Because as you know, across the industry, we're all facing very tough challenge. And 
in hiring. It's so hard to get frontline staff right now um, across all industries, but spe- specifically enforcement and, and parking positions. Um, but I think that, uh, again, I have no studies or backing, but the, the, the programs that I deal with that do the regular training and invest and promote from within, and they seem to have less issues with uh, attracting and hiring and, and keeping frontline staff. But I, I don't know if you had any comments on that. That's just that's something I know we're all dealing with right now. It's so hard to hire staff. I am in absolute agreement that right now it is a significant challenge to find frontline. And this goes, you know, whether you're talking about parking, about customer service aides, uh, bus drivers, uh, transit operators, this is all a challenge right now. And so if we're going to find good staff, should we not invest in keeping them? And part of the investment in keeping good people is to train them. And again, you know, as much as I'd love to have everyone listening to this, you know, call me in and arrange for training, it takes more than just me coming in. It's a good start. I'll tell you that much. That's, that's my belief. It's a good start to have face-to-face training, but it has to be followed up. It has to be part of a mentoring program and an ongoing training program within an organization. And, and I think people get intimidated. We're, we're all so busy. You get intimidated about, oh, I can't do a bunch of training. I've got way too much to do. I'll just call somebody in. Well, that's great. Do that. At least do that. But training can be something as as easy as pulling your, your teams together, or it can be separate units, whatever, whatever you can do, putting people together in a room and saying, okay, I, I assigned everybody this YouTube to watch or this TED Talk or this, I'll, I'll say, an IPMI we do frontline fundamentals training and it's an hour long at most. And everybody has to watch it before the training or before this meeting. And then you have a group discussion about it. What was a point that you got out of that? What, what could you add to that? What, what's your experience? That's an experience that is considered to be professional development as well. We learn from each other. We learn from our peers. We learn from our supervisors. So it isn't just mm. having somebody come in to train. I love it, it. It's it's not a one stop no. shop. It's an ongoing, yeah. Customer, Absolutely. Frontline training. It's it's never ending. It's it's ongoing, and I love that. But I will tell you, uh, those agencies that are doing this type of training again in person as groups, uh, reading assignments, watching assignments, whatever it is, the people that are working for those groups are feeling the investment. Don't think they're not. You don't yeah. all have to be best buddies but they feel the investment and that investment pays off in not having to rehire and retrain new people constantly. And that's a challenge for us, right? Well, you hear the, the old adage about it costs three times more to attract a new customer than retain an old one. And I think it's the same for employees with background checks, training, errors and mess ups, fixing, you know, just from new employees. So I'm sure I don't know the stats and the numbers, but yeah. it's it's way more cost effective it, it to is. keep staff than to have them keep going out that door and coming in. Um, and then the other thing is, I work in our government sector for our company, so right. universities and mainly cities. We do some airports too, but I will say that I have never once. Um, well, first let me explain how our contracts work. Where a lot of times, you know, the the, the city or the university the airport. 
they, at the end of the day, they pay the expenses. We may buy something and then submit it for reimbursement, if that makes sense. But what I'm getting at is they, they, I've never approached a client and said, we want to pay to do training or we want to pay. They're going to be clocking for two hours for, for a training or we want them to watch this video at home. It's an hour. We're going to pay them an hour on their own time. You know, it wouldn't be overtime, uh, blah, blah, blah. But I'd never once had one say, no, we're not paying for that. You know, 99.9% of the time, the clients want, they want that investment in their employees. They want you to train them. They're willing to pay. And we're still not bringing these solutions or options. And you mentioned it a minute ago. You'd love to have everyone call and schedule. So how does that, that work? Maybe talk about that. You know, what it's like to, you do in-person, do you do remote? How do you book? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So it's interesting. So how this all works, I do my own scheduling. Uh, (laughs) I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to that, but with IPMI, uh, you you can email, you can call. Um, We do trainings, both face-to-face in person, and we do it virtually. And I will tell you that prior to the pandemic, we did not offer the frontline training virtually. I'm glad we did, we now do it because sometimes that's the only accessible way for certain teams is to, you know, gather remotely and and do this virtually. And while I think it's good, it's better than nothing. One of the things that I've noticed and I I've been doing a lot of virtual trainings and I do a lot of in-person trainings. The virtual trainings are good for concept if you've got the person's attention. So often, and we've all been on Zoom or, or whatever platform, and you, you look at the entire Zoom room, and you may have 20 people in there and two cameras are on, and you want to know what's going on with those folks. You, you want to know if you're connecting with the people that you can't see. It's, it's impossible. So you don't know how to craft the message or mold the training into what it needs to be for the group that is present in front of you. And what I've noticed is, while I enjoy doing the virtual trainings, uh, and this is not all about my pleasure, but I really get something out of the face-to-face because I can see their responses. If I'm losing them, if I need to make a different point, if I need to answer a question, or we have a group discussion, that is key to learning for our frontline. And frankly, if they're happy with their job and they feel like they're being fulfilled and they're being heard, there's something to that as far as retention and to the attitudes they then display on our behalf. And I I, I know I I keep circling back to that, but I think it's important for us to recognize investing in our teams is investing in ourselves, is investing in our time to be able to do our job and and maybe have fewer complaints and better attitudes. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop at that. However, whether you email uh, IPMI, uh, me, call IPMI, we try to get you on the schedule just as soon as possible. But we do try to help you. You may know exactly as an agency what you want to have trained. Maybe you don't. Maybe you've got an issue, a problem, and you say, listen, here's what we're experiencing. What have you got? So I actually prefer that so that I can have a discussion with an agency to figure out how we can pinpoint what they're what they're experiencing and try to meet their needs directly rather than just a you know one size fits all training. And I will put the uh, Cindy's contact information or IPMI's contact information in the show notes. 
again, I've used her dozens of times and our staff loves it. And I love not having to do the training <laughs> and handing that off to Cindy, who does a wonderful job. And you may have seen her at some of the state and regionals. She does a lot of the, the training as well. So uh, what about IPMI conference in New Orleans? Speaking of that, are you doing any any training well, I, or special? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's that going to be? On? Give, it, give us a plug. One of the things that I like to try to do at our annual conference in this year, it's going to be in New Orleans at the end of July. I like to try to roll out a new training, something that people can look forward to in a, an actual training versus just a conference session. This year, uh, because of all the things that even we've just talked about with these attitudes that people have, um, my, my presentation is going to be on the culture of contempt and addressing the us versus them attitudes that we experience in the workplace. And again, that's not just about you know us as employees and, and representatives of a company and the customer, but it, it's also between coworkers and supervision and frontline and, and everybody within an organization. The culture of contempt is definitely a big thing right now. So it, it's going to be interactive and, uh, and we'll have some group discussions even in that one hour session. I love it. I will be there. So Wonderful. Uh, when you're not helping organizations with their frontline training, what does Cindy Campbell like to do for fun? Well, first of all, who says that this isn't fun? Okay. I, I happen to get a lot of pleasure out of, of training. And, uh, and before I tell you like personally what I do, let, let me just add one other thing. Yeah, let's um, hear it. I, I get to go to these organizations, whether it's university, municipal, airport, hospital, medical center. And I am afforded the opportunity to have conversations with individuals. And so many of them appreciate being heard, um, appreciate having somebody talk to them that appreciates their profession, recognizes what an important role they play within an organization. And that tells me not always that they've been looked over or not appreciated appropriately, but that we as an industry and as leadership can do better. Um, we can make sure that we call out the small things. Yes, it's their job to perform these tasks, these functions, but they make us look good or they make us look not so good. And so I love the fact that I'm getting to have those conversations and to get some insight into what's going on yeah. uh, on our front lines. But that for me, well, actually, it, it's a pleasure. So I yeah, when I got hired, my, my, uh, Boss who hired me, Jack Skelton at the time, told me that yeah. in parking, you can do 99 good things. I, I mentioned this earlier, but the one time you mess up, that's all everyone wants to talk about. And I think that's, you know, you don't get that in a lot of other jobs. It's just funny with these parking enforcement officers, they, they work so hard and take so much. But then sometimes the only time the manager talks to them is, hey, you were late yesterday or Hey, I noticed you didn't issue a ticket from 237 and 412. What what was going you know, right. so it's like you said, they feel heard and appreciated when you're when you're telling them your story and talking about the issues and letting them I'm sure I've seen hands go up and they tell stories and I don't know. I I really I like that you find that the enjoyment and value in that because you are doing such a good thing and hopefully a challenge to all our parking professors out there to you know, maybe when you hear this, the day you hear this podcast, take, mm. take a frontline staff member to the side. Say, here's a coffee. You know, I, 
appreciate all you do for us. You, you do such a great job and you mean a lot to us because uh, they don't get that nearly as much as they should. And some of us are, are doing a really good job of it. And I, I, I don't mean to, to cast a, a bad light on leadership and administration or managers, but we get so busy doing our job that we forget sometimes the human element of this and that you know their face is our face. That that is what people are thinking of our organization. So how are we investing in them? But uh, honestly, Isaiah, this is this is my my pleasure. I love what I'm doing, and I'm love I'm loving the fact that I learned some very hard lessons, and I'll continue to learn hard lessons. But I love that I get to put it into action. I, I did it wrong. Don't make my mistakes. You know, share, learn, and be better. Be better humans. We we all have that ability. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, as far as what I actually do for fun, I'm, I'm a family girl. Uh, my kids, my grandkids, uh, my friends love spending time, big on laughter, big on cooking and travel. Um, although I, I, get, I get plenty of travel, but sometimes it's fun to, you know, to, to not be doing training and just go explore somewhere new. I, I would have to tell you if I, if I had to boil down in, in uh, one attribute, like what it is that, I really enjoy. It's watching people. It's uh, not in a creepy way. Okay. Just, um, I, I kind of have a reputation for, uh, relaying travel stories and observations from airports and, and places I get to go, uh, taking surreptitious photos of uh, some of the things I get to see during my travel. But what it really boils down to is I, I just enjoy people. I love being, uh, with them. I like being part of the experience. And, um, I don't know. It's, Life is a mixed collection of uh, strange, wonderful, uh, fun, and and I'm sure enjoying mine. I, I have to admit, I am also a people watcher, and uh, <laughs> I do the same thing when I travel. I get a kick out of that. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for what you've done for our industry, from working at university to the IPMI uh, chair of the board, and now working for IPMI, helping with frontline training. and. I've heard your name requested on the show before, so so glad we can finally get you in here to do a live full episode. So thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Isaiah. All right. Have a great week. You too. This episode is brought to you by Tez Technology. Since 1993, Tez has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Tez Solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Tez to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com. 